But first, I'm going to get to, uh, well, talk about the awesome Menor in my own life, um, in what we call the Panty Monologues, because we've never come up with a better name for this section. <laughs> um, I come from, well, a succession of formidable women, um, awesome Menor, and as Menor so often are, really, and um, I think it's passed down among women, this awesomeness. Now, my grandmother, Granny Hoban, my mother's mother, was a formidable woman. As a kid, my respect for her occasionally teetered into fear because um, unlike other less formidable grandmothers, uh, my granny didn't think that being a granny was a popularity contest. And she wasn't afraid to risk fleeting unpopularity with a stern talking to her in order to bed. She lived frugally in a small red brick terrace in Dolphin's Bar that she shared with a succession of student lodgers who no doubt knew their place. But when she stepped off the train in County Mayo, it wasn't hard to spot her. Well, you don't see anybody else on the platform in Claire Morris in a fur coat. <laughs> um, and um, how old that fur coat was and how long it had been since someone could afford to buy her a fur coat well, that's none of your bloody business. <laughs> and that is the thing about a fur coat. If you look after it with great care and attention, it's almost impossible to tell if it was bought last week or before the war. <laughs> they had spent the war in England, my Granny Hoban and my Mammy. Grandpa Hoban was a vet, a professional. Well, of course he was. You'd hardly expect a woman like Granny Hoban, a woman who owns her own fur coat, to marry someone without an education, would you? Granny Hoban was a firm believer in education. They had settled in England, in Shropshire, and in fairly quick succession, Granny had four children, first two boys, then two girls, my own mammy being the third child. And then Granny Hoban's lovely vet, he went and got TB and died, the Egypt, <laughs> leaving her alone in wartime Britain, an Irish single mother with four young kids and a fur coat. But as you already know, Granny Hoban was a formidable woman, resilient, hardworking, tough, tougher, dare I say, than the German and Polish prisoners of war in the camp nearby, or the American soldiers who gave my mammy chewing gum, not much more than kids themselves. When the war ended, my formidable granny took her children back to Dublin, where she got a job in Guinness. And somehow, through a combination of ingenuity, hard work, discipline, the redoubtable Irish matriarch managed to feed clothes and care for her four kids on a Guinness secretary's salary. And they somehow managed to not get beaten up in school for having English accents. <laughs> but they would finish secondary school soon. And then what for these children of a single mother in a red brick terrace on the South Circular Road? Granny Hoban was determined that the two boys would get a proper university education like their father. And Granny Hoban had a plan. The eldest had the makings of a priest. Every family needed a priest. <laughs> and the bonus was, of course, that the church would provide for him and his education, which left the second boy. He'd be a vet like his father, and Granny Hoban would work and scrimp hard to pay for his education. But even she couldn't do everything on her own, and so my mammy, the third child, would have to finish her education and get a job to help her brother be a vet. And so my mammy, whip smart, book smart, uh, a reader, a young woman with the kind of mind that soaked up information, a hard-working, disciplined and diligent student who would have thrived at university. Well, like her mother, like most Irish women, I think, like most women, perhaps, she too was resilient and did what was expected of her without complaint for the greater good. 
And so the second son went to university and became a vet. But my mother did get something out of the university too. Her brother brought home a classmate, a tall, handsome, languid fella, who had come to take her little sister to a dance. But for the first and last time in my mother's life, she stole something. <laughs> and 60 years later, she still has them. <laughs> and her crosswords and Sudoku and a bedside table piled high with books. So, you see, I come from a line of truly awesome women, and I've gotten to know plenty more too. I was a teenage college student living in a moldy basement flat in Dunleary when my friend came to stay with me for a little while, back when we were not much more than kids ourselves, me and my awesome friend. But she wasn't feeling very awesome at the time. She felt terrified and alone and pregnant. It was 1987, and her father wasn't the kind of man a teenage daughter could tell she was pregnant in Ireland in 1987. So she did the sensible thing and didn't tell him. Instead, she found an excuse to leave and ended up for a while in a dank, moldy basement apartment with a friend, a boy who felt useless, a boy who wasn't a formidable woman with resilience and a plan and her own fur coat. But my friend wasn't useless. She was resilient, and she found a way out. The only way out, as far as we could see, was the only way for a painless, pregnant Irish teenager in 1987. And like all the formidable women that came before her, she did what she had to do without complaint. We took a noisy, diesel-smelling bus, hardly speaking a word to each other, well, what was it to say anyway, to a village that we had never heard of before in County Meath, and asked the first person we found for directions which were given without looking at us. It was a big grey stone house outside the village, surrounded by fields and quiet round sheep. The door was answered by a nun, a friendly nun who smiled and made small talk and pretended that this wasn't awkward and weird and scary, and led us down a corridor where we caught glimpses of more quiet round sheep, except they weren't sheep. They were girls, and they were all different sizes of round, and they had fathers and brothers and towns and villages you couldn't tell you were pregnant in 1987. And a short while later, I left her there. I visited her. I got the smelly bus again. She was rounder. She'd made friends with some of the other girls, but they didn't stay long, and they wouldn't stay in touch afterwards. Why would they? The nuns were nice. The food is grand. She had rice yesterday. The other girls were nice. More than nice, they were awesome, even if they didn't know it or feel it yet. We didn't have a phone in the moldy basement flat, but I did get a message, and so I called her from a phone box. She had baby, a boy. She told me how much he weighed, and I can tell from the way that she said it that I was supposed to be impressed by how big he was, and so I said, wow. She had him for a day. Maybe it was more or less. I can't really remember him. And then they brought her some papers to sign, and they took him away. Apparently, he was going to a very nice couple, professionals. <clears throat> they sent her a picture once. <clears throat> the nuns, I mean. The nuns sent her a picture once. It was a long time ago, and um, in all the years, we've hardly ever mentioned it since. Well, why would we, anyway? And um, we don't see much of each other these days, anyway. We have different lives. And she has her own family now, and she is still my friend, and she's still awesome. <clears throat> Sorry. <clears throat> Sorry.